Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, welcome back. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass. As always, I'm thrilled to have you. Recently, I picked up a, a brand new hobby, cooking. So somewhere in the middle of the COVID pandemic, I got curious about making food because, I mean, at the time, we couldn't go out and eat at restaurants. And I figured that I might as well learn how to make what I like myself. And so since then, I've basically become the head chef of my house. I do almost all of the cooking. And it's been fun. And and I really enjoy it. I enjoy trying out new things. I enjoy having new experiences. And I started making things like pad thai and Asian Asian stir fry because I really like it. And then I basically expanded into trying anything that seemed fun and exotic. Literally, almost everything I make has fish sauce in it, if that gives you any idea of my cooking preferences. But after cooking for a little bit, I discovered something that anyone who cooks for their family, which might be you, that you might know and have known for ages, and it's this. Just because I enjoy cooking something doesn't mean anyone in my family wants to eat it. I enjoy exotic and interesting foods, but in my family, I'm the only one. I mean, take my kids, my oldest Cameron, she doesn't like any Asian food. Uh, My youngest Calvin, he doesn't like anything that is fatty or fried. And then my middle, uh, Trinity, she doesn't like sauce or condiments at all, like any sauce. You know what I like experimenting with and making the most? Sauce, Asian food, chicken thighs with chewy skin that has sauce covering all over it. I mean, basically everything that I want perfectly lines up with what they don't want. And my wife, I mean, all Terry wants is a meat and potato, which is so boring for me. Now they'll politely eat what I make and sometimes, sometimes they'll actually even like it. But I know that if I really wanted to give everyone a meal that they would love, all it would take was, would be to make a couple boxes of creamy mac and cheese. And that's it, I would be a hero. I learned this from cooking. Just because I can do something doesn't mean it's what everyone else wants or even needs. Now, this isn't just true of cooking, okay? This is true of lots of things. I mean, just because LeBron James can dunk the ball doesn't mean that it's best for his team for him to always dunk the ball. I mean, they, might, they may just need him to hit some threes once in a while. There's an architect who designed this house. It's an upside down house that he built in Columbia. But just because he can doesn't mean everyone who hires him wants to live in an upside down house. When I was young, um, I I played in a band that toured with another band called Believable Picnic. And these guys had a drummer. And this dude, he was crazy when he played the drums. I mean, check this out. That's how he played for their entire set every night. Throwing his sticks up in the air, spinning them nonstop. I mean, the dude would stand up and play an entire song standing. I kid you not, 
One time I saw him stop playing drums in the middle of a song, jump off the stage, and run around the entire audience. And all the other guys in the band, they just had to keep playing with no drummer. I mean, he could do some amazing things. Don't get me wrong. But to be honest, he played like this for their whole set, and, and for me, it was just distracting. It took away from the, the show because it was too much. Just because he could do all those cool gimmicky drum tricks didn't mean that it was best for the whole band that he do them. They mostly just needed him to keep the beat. Sometimes there are things you can do, and then there are things people really need. And the trick is to figure out which is which. And that is something that Jesus had down. So as we've been looking at some of Jesus's miracles over the last several weeks, we've seen what he's capable of. We've seen what he can do. But as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to see that what he was really interested in was what people needed. Not just what he could do, but what was best for them. And so let's begin in Matthew 9 verse 1. It says that Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. So Matthew's account of this story is pretty lean because Matthew's goal in writing his gospel was to prove to a first century Jewish audience that Jesus was the Messiah. And that didn't require a lot of small details, just big power. But we get some more detail here in Luke's gospel. And uh, Luke continues in Luke 5, 18 through 19. It said, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. So the picture fills in. Jesus has returned to his home base, right? And he finds the house that he is in so crowded with people. There's so many people around it that there are some guys who just want to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, but they can't get through. So they start to think and get clever, and they found a way onto the roof of the house, lugged their paralyzed buddy up on top of the roof, and started removing the tiles, get this, so that they could drop their buddy down there, you know, like Spider-Man dropping in for an upside-down kiss. Now, this is not a terribly cool move, but... I mean, they really thought Jesus could help their friend. So, I mean, they figured they would engage in a little bit of property destruction. The story continues in Matthew 9-2. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. So this is an important verse because everything hinges on what happens here. But it's also, I mean, a little confusing. I mean, I can't imagine that the paralyzed guy or his friends were terribly excited when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. I'm sure they were hoping for something a little bit more like, get up and walk. But instead of saying, be healed, Jesus said, you're forgiven. Instead of addressing his affliction, Jesus addressed the paralyzed man's sin. And, and, and honestly, the paralyzed man and his friends weren't the only ones there who were surprised and disappointed by what Jesus said. Look at Matthew 9, 3. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? So in the first century Jewish world, only God forgave sin. 
And it was done through ritual, ritual sacrifices at the temple. According to Jewish law, only the blood of animals could atone for sin and make someone right with God. And even then, even then, forgiveness was only God's to give. The teachers of religious law, they were outraged because here was this man offering forgiveness of sins based on what? Faith? Based on the simple belief that, that maybe Jesus could help? That maybe he could make a difference? I mean, to them, Jesus was both denying the sacrificial rights of atonement for sin and claiming authority that only God has. To them, it was a rejection of the Jewish law and an affront to God. Blasphemy. The story continues in Matthew 9, 4. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Fear swept. I'm sorry. And the man jumped up and went home. He did it. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for giving humans such authority. Jesus healed the paralyzed man. I mean, the thing this guy wanted the most from Jesus was what he got. And the crowds were amazed and in awe of what they had just seen. A paralyzed man getting up and walking? But I can't help but wonder if, if Jesus wasn't a little disappointed that the people had missed the point he was making. See, they wanted healing miracles, but Jesus knew what they really needed was forgiveness. So let's talk about that for a second, forgiveness. Let's look through the miracle for a second to see what really happened here. Okay, you, you know what triage is, right? Triage is the process that doctors use in order to determine what patients or what injuries on a person need to get treated first. Uh, and, and when somebody's brought into the hospital, where they should go, where they should be placed to be treated. It's basically a way to prioritize what needs the most immediate attention and, and to identify what the main problem is. So if someone is brought in after a car accident with a broken leg and they aren't breathing, the doctor's going to say, we need oxygen and we need chest compressions before he says, let's get an x-ray of that leg. Because the injury that requires the most attention is the priority. And it's more important to get a person breathing than it is to set their broken leg. Now, I want you to do this. Imagine the same person, same injuries, they're brought into the hospital with a broken leg and they're not breathing. And the doctor says, nurse, quick, we need to get this guy a haircut, stat. That would be ridiculous. No sane person would look down on someone who's so injured and think that giving them a salon quality updo is more important than saving their life. Now, imagine that you're the paralyzed man being lowered down in front of Jesus with your withered legs, with the bed sores that you struggle with from not being able to move. You're lowered down and you look up at Jesus knowing and believing that if the rumors are true, that he has the power to heal people, that he could heal you. You'll never have to beg for food or money ever again. You can work, you can walk and run. 
And you're looking up at Jesus, waiting for him to say the words, get up and walk, get up and walk. And after a moment, he looks you in your eyes and he says, be encouraged, your sins are forgiven. I don't know about you, I would be pretty disappointed. I mean, it's like expecting a new car on your 16th birthday, but instead getting a $20 gift card to Denny's. But more than the disappointment, I would be thinking to myself, were I him, how could Jesus possibly look at my condition that I've been paralyzed for years? How could he possibly come to the conclusion that the thing I needed most was forgiveness? No, I want to walk, dude. I don't need you to let me off the hook from the bad things that I've done. But when Jesus looked at this physically broken man and triaged him, Jesus determined that what he needed most was the forgiveness of his sins. Now, this is tough. This doesn't make a lot of sense to us. I mean, if you could heal me or forgive me, I'm probably going to choose healed every time. But I think that's because we don't have a proper view of what forgiveness really means. I mean, when we think of forgiveness, just think about what you think forgiveness is. It's typically from an emotional perspective. Forgiveness is a, it's like a feeling. If someone does something to hurt me, it affects how I feel about them. And so as a result of that, we look at forgiveness as adjusting those feelings in order to let go of that resentment and anger. So in our world, forgiveness is about changing my feelings toward another person. And so when you take that and you apply it to the paralyzed man in our story, I mean, it could almost sound like Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying, you know, you've done some bad things that offended God and it made God mad, but because I forgive you, now God is letting go of his hard feelings toward you. But the thing is, to Jesus, forgiveness is so much bigger than that. God's forgiveness is less about the feelings of the person giving forgiveness, and it's more about the impact on the person receiving forgiveness. Check this out. The Greek word that Jesus uses, it has the connotation of, of letting something loose, cutting it off, or setting it free. It, it, the same word is used to describe releasing prisoners from their chains. Now imagine that you're on a ship at sea, and that ship starts to sink, and in trying to escape, you get tangled up in some ropes that are on deck. And because you're tangled up, the ship is pulling you under the water as it sinks. The ropes binding you to the ship will drag you down unless some, somebody or something cuts you loose. And that's what God's forgiveness does. It cuts the ropes. It's not about God adjusting his negative emotional posture towards you because you did something bad. No, this forgiveness is about cutting you loose from something that is destroying you. God's forgiveness is not about him releasing his anger. It's about ensuring your freedom. And it means this. God wants to rescue you, not punish you. God's forgiveness is not about you feeling the right amount of guilt and shame. It's about whether or not we live in bondage and enslavement to sin here and now in this life. It's about whether or not we gain freedom from the destructive power of sin in our lives that damages our marriages, our families, our finances, our jobs. I mean, pretty much everything that it touches. God wants to cut the ropes that are dragging you to the bottom of the sea. So I'm going to wrap up. 
And as I do, I want to take a little bit of a, of a step back and to take a bird's eye view here over this entire series so far. Matthew wrote this gospel to highlight the power and authority of Jesus so that he could prove to a first century Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah. And if we look at the three miracles we've talked about in the miracle series so far, we can see Matthew building a progression. Each miracle story building from one to the next. Check this out. First, Jesus calmed the storm, showing his authority over the natural world. Then last week, we talked about how Jesus cast out demons, showing his authority over the supernatural world. And in that miracle, he freed a man who had been literally chained up by people. And today we find Jesus moving from freeing someone in literal chains to freeing someone from spiritual chains. It's like Matthew wants us to know two things. First, that Jesus has authority over everything and that he wants to leverage that authority to accomplish one main thing in the lives of people, spiritual freedom. At the end of the day, we all have things we want Jesus to do that only he is capable of doing. I mean, we want the miracles. We want the healing. We want Jesus to dunk all the time. But in your life and mine, Jesus wants us to know that winning the game is more important than dunking the ball. He wants us to know that sometimes we just need him to keep the beat rather than play a drum solo. That what we need is more important than what we want. And that our fundamental primary need is to be rescued from the brokenness and damage of sin in our lives. I don't know what it is for you, but I know you are tied up and tangled in something that is pulling you down. And the reason I know this is because you are a human being and sin and brokenness are a universal part of the human condition. And I'm not talking about the thing that you feel guilty about or wish you hadn't done. I mean, let me make this very clear. God's not mad. He's not keeping a tally of all the ways in which you've wronged him so that you can beg his forgiveness someday. Rather, God sees how the destructive power of sin is having consequences in your life, how it's affecting your friendships, your marriage, your identity. And Jesus didn't die on the cross so God wouldn't have to be mad at you anymore. He did it to rescue you from the devastating effects of sin in your life, to cut the ropes holding you down and dragging you under, to rescue you, not punish you. This is the main thing for Jesus, to set you free. And he's inviting you to step into that freedom today. I mean, the men who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus, they had just enough faith to believe that Jesus could maybe help him. And that's all you need too. Just enough faith to believe that maybe Jesus loves you and can cut you free from that thing you know in the deepest part of your spirit is pulling you down. And with him, I invite you to say yes to Jesus today as well. And if you do, if you want to do that today, do this. In the description section of this video, click on the link to connect. And on that connect link, there's a connection card. And I just want you to fill that out and let us know what you need, what's going on in your life, how we can help. And if you want to begin following Jesus and taking a step towards him, we want to help you know exactly what those steps look like. So fill that out. 
I'm so excited about what God is planning in your life, and I look forward to seeing what he's going to do next as we lean into it. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 